Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Good morning. So the greater series is called The Craziness of Christmas, and over the next few weeks, we're going to contrast a few things. Uh, next week's message, Jesus or Santa, I'm going to encourage you if you have children under the age of 12, maybe don't include them in the service next week. Bring them down the hall to Kids Church. Today, I'm going to be talking to you about Holy Day or Holidays, the Holy Day or Holiday edition. But I want you to understand something. There's a principle that God creates things good. How many know this to be true? And then Satan comes and he perverts or he corrupts. And sometimes he uses mankind to corrupt things. So Satan and humans corrupt the very good things that God has created. We doing okay so far? So when I was, well, let's back up even more. Oh, thanks, Mike. Appreciate that. Here's the thing. Years ago when the television was invented, Okay, there was a lot of Christian preachers that stood up and talked about the devil in the box, and they spoke against television. And what happened is we lost an entire generation where the greatest, greatest device for mass communication of the message of hope at the time, and we didn't utilize it. And the world developed all kinds of content and programming, and then the church figured this out sometime later, and we're still trying to catch up, but it's only been in the last maybe 25 years. We've been putting out a lot of content that can actually take the message of hope really to the nations. And then I remember when I was young, I was a teenager, you know, 16, 17, 18. Anyone ever been there? Some of you will get there one day, and some of you go, I'm trying to forget those days. <laughs> and some of you go, I don't remember anything that happened in that time. But I remember there was a man named Jack Chick, and he produced a lot of these Bible tracts and all these books and all these things. And I got a hold of some of his material. And how many know that I don't think anyone has all the revelation? I know I certainly don't. But in his content, he came against some of the styles of music. Can everyone say style? style. I'm not talking about the content of the music. I'm talking about the style or the sound of the music. And I remember he was likening some of the beats and the rhythms some of the beats and the rhythms that we hear in popular styles of music to the same beats that the witch doctors used when they cast spells and incantations over in Africa. And it took me a little while before I got things sorted out when I started thinking about it, realizing that God made music. And what's really important is the heart of the musician and who are they trying to glorify and who are they trying to honor in the music. And see, once again, some of the styles of music that could reach a generation, the church, to some degree, started cutting themselves out of because they don't understand this principle that God made music, God made rhythm. Because Satan perverted it or corrupted, it doesn't mean that we don't use rhythm. Some churches have gone so far as to take the drums out of the church because, you know, well, secular in the world, they use drums, so maybe we shouldn't in the church. I'm hoping to talk to you today that that logic is a little bit flawed. So we talked about television and how it forms your worldview. <laughs> I 
I missed one point on that because generally if you laugh about it today, the next generation will accept it as normal. So what are they joking about on the sitcoms today? That's what the culture in the next generation will accept as normal. And then we went through music. Now we could have conversations today about marriage. Because the culture today is trying to redefine an institution that we know God created and ordained. As a church, I'm very confident to say that we believe that marriage is a union between one man and one woman to the exclusion of all others according to the biblical truth that the Bible has given us. So because the culture is trying to recreate or redesign something that God instituted, does that mean that we shouldn't participate in it because it's being corrupted in the culture? How are we doing? You're looking at me like, where are you going with this? The craziness of Christmas, holiday or holiday edition. Every year about this time, I start getting questions. I get flooded with emails, hallway conversations, I get phone calls. There's all these articles that start going around on social media, all these articles start going around on web websites and pulpits around the world, and people start attacking Christmas because it's a pagan holiday. And I get many questions from people on this matter. So my hope today is to balance and rightfully discern the word of God. And let's look at what the scriptures have to say about this. And we'll see at the end of the sermon which way we need to go on the matter. So, how many say that's fair? So I'm going to start with some of the arguments. We'll talk about that. Then we'll go to the scriptures and we'll look at what the scriptures say. One of the arguments that I hear quite often is... The world makes this holiday celebration all about materialism. It's all about shopping. It's all about buying stuff. And the world, that's true. They do. It's a very commercialized. It's very buy, 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 buy. In fact, a lot of companies, if they don't sell enough product between now and Christmas, they go under. Because this is the season that really puts them into the black. Now, while this is true about the world, I want to point a couple things out. I chose to get married to my wife despite what the culture is doing with marriage. I purpose to guard my eyes when I watch a movie or television. That means that before I watch something, I often check out what the content's going to be in advance. So if I'm going to go watch a movie, I want to make sure that the language is within my acceptable bounds, the sex and nudity is within my acceptable bounds, which means there's not too much of it. <laughs> And the violence is within my acceptable bounds. I have a higher tolerance for violence than I do sex in movies. But everyone has their own conviction, although there's some things that Christians shouldn't watch but do. I remember I came back from Asia and I was talking about how great the movie Titanic was and everyone looked at me like, you watched that movie? And then I realized, well, I watched the clean version because over there they edit out all the nude scenes. So when you go to the theater in the Philippines, they edit out a lot of the nudity before it even gets into the country. I wish they did a clean version of some of the movies here. I don't know how many movies you watch and you look at them and you go, why did they have to put that in? Because it did absolutely nothing to advance the plot. I will listen to any style of music that I like. Now, I do pay attention to who's getting glorified in the music. It's not the style, because how many know people have preference? Some people like stuff that's a little bit softer. Some people like rock. Some people like alternative. I think there's some people that like country. Yeah. 
Some people like praise and worship. Did you know there's Christian screamo bands? Okay, you younger people don't know what that is. Screamo was a term that we used in the 90s. Now they call it um, hardcore punk or emo. But emo is really broad. Don't you find that a broad? T- I find emo a broad term. Like, like here's, a, here's an example of an emo song. Back in the day, there was a band called Goo Goo Dolls, and they came out with a song called Name. And they captured the cry of a generation. And you could see the emotion of the heartbeat of the generation being communicated. That's emo, the emotion. It taps into that, right? So that's a good example of that. But there is bands that glorify God with different styles of music. Do you know there's even Christian rappers? Christian rock? Christian country? Even if the world celebrates other things at Christmas time, is for me and my house, we're going to honor Jesus. Okay, now that's me. But I want to I wanna get to the scriptures in a minute, but I want to I go through a couple of the arguments first. Another question that I get asked is, well, the Bible doesn't mention Christmas. You're right. This is also known as what we refer to as an argument from silence. Did you know there's many things that the scriptures don't comment on? For instance, cars. I've never seen the word automobile in the Bible. Does that mean that we shouldn't drive them? Hey, if you want to go back to horse and buggy, God bless you. You go for it. On a more serious note, here's one that I hear all the time about a contradiction in the scriptures that isn't really a contradiction. How many know Matthew and Luke tell a very detailed account of the birth of Jesus, the virgin birth specifically? How do you know this? You've read Matthew and you've read Luke? We started reading Luke today. We'll finish it over the next few weeks, Luke chapter 1. What I want you to understand is because Mark doesn't comment on the virgin birth, I've seen people try to conclude or draw a logical conclusion that, well, Mark doesn't talk about the virgin birth, so therefore there's contradiction in the Bible because Mark doesn't mention it. Well, Matthew talks about it. Luke talks about it. Why doesn't Mark talk about it? Mark must not believe in it. There's a word, asinine, foolish, stupid, unknowledgeable, inaccurate. What kind of conclusion is that? Here's a sensible conclusion. Four writers wrote four gospels from their unique point of view. And each one of them highlighted different aspects of Jesus' life and ministry. I can ask you after the service today, what part of the service stood out to you? And some people will say the music. Some people will like communion. Some people will like the food down in the guest room. Some people might like the message. I talk to four people, I get four answers. Does that mean the other three things didn't happen? I can have multiple points in a sermon. One point might hit you heavier than someone else. Someone else might be affected by something totally different. Does that mean that we don't believe everything that took place during the course of the service? We have to be careful with our logic because the argument from silence often falls apart very quickly because there's many things that are not mentioned explicitly in the Word of God. We have principles that we're given, that we live our life by, that we govern our life by, but there's many things that aren't addressed. So if you're going to start arguing from silence, you better start cutting a lot of other stuff out of your life as well. We doing okay? Dun, dun, dun. 
Now, I want to go to Romans 14. I'm going to start in verse 1. I want to go to the holidays and the holy days. Let's look at what the scriptures have to say. It says, number one, accept other believers who are weak in the faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. So Paul, writing Romans, is saying, look, different people are at different places in their faith. Some people are stronger, some people are weaker, but it says, don't argue with one another about these things. How are we doing? Isn't that what it says? Don't argue. Okay. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything. Another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. No problem. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall with the Lord's help. They will stand and receive his approval. So now we're talking about food. Some people like meat. Some people like vegetables. You know what? Make your choice and eat what you want. But don't criticize someone who eats something different than you. Did everyone hear me? Don't look down upon someone who eats something different than you. Now, I'm going to say this. We're going to end the service today with 1 Corinthians 10, where it talks about while all things are permissible, not all things are beneficial. Okay? So that means that science has shown us that some food is better for you than others. You can eat what you want. But I think there's this key word that we need to understand called moderation. You're talking about food at church going into Christmas? Yes, I am. <laughs> in the same way, in the same way, just like the food, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. Here's the key. You, everyone say you. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it too. And here is the key to this whole concept, honor. Can everyone say honor? honor? They want to honor Him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord. Since they give thanks to God before eating, and those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. If we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be the Lord of both the living and the dumb. So here's the question. Why? Everyone say, why? Why, why, why? Why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, as we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a account for our neighbor's opinions, account for our neighbor's actions, account for our spouse's actions. What kind of account do you give? Ooh, those are dangerous words in 2019. You mean I have to, give a per you mean I have to answer for my actions to God? Yes, you do. Personally, you have to stand before God and have a conversation about how you lived your life. You can't blame it on anyone else. You are fully responsible for your life. You need to look in the mirror and say, I am responsible for the choices I make today. No one can choose for me. I'm not even talking about blame today. 
Dun, dun. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Some people want to worship on Sunday, some on Saturday. You know, I'm going to read from Shafe in a minute, but he gives you probably one of the most complete accounts of the history of the Christian church that I've ever seen. He's got eight volumes. This is one of them. Philip Shafe. It was a lovely gift I got from uh, my wife's family at my ordination. I wanted that set of books for a long time. And people like me like reading. It's, it's not exactly the most exciting read. However, it does give a very detailed account of the history of the church. And in there, he goes into great detail as he explains how very quickly on the early church fathers adapted Sunday worship on the first day of the week in honor of the Lord's resurrection. And we have followed that pattern to celebrate his resurrection, right? And we even do communion to celebrate his death, right, on a regular basis on Sundays. Now, some of you can't come to church on Sunday. I mean, you're here today. Sometimes people work or sometimes things happen, so some people come on Wednesday. By the way, if you're able to come on Wednesday and you don't come out, man, you're missing out on some powerful teaching. There's some good things that are happening, man. There's some good ministry of the word that's happening, and there's some good revelation that's coming forth as the team is ministering forth God's word. Not to mention all the classes that happen. See, the point is, you take one day for worship and rest. I mean, think about this. God created the universe and then took a day off. Unless you think you're greater than him, you probably need a day off too. Some people choose to celebrate Christmas. Some people choose not to. Both are right in their choice. But here's where we both go wrong. If we condemn or criticize others for a choice, we're not properly honoring God in the situation. If you choose to celebrate Christmas, celebrate Christmas. If you don't want to celebrate Christmas, don't celebrate Christmas. But as soon as you start pointing the finger at the other people like you're more holy than them because you do something that they're not doing, you're an error. We've crossed the line and we've dropped the ball. Because in my life, I want to honor God. And in your life, you should want to honor God. So by condemning God's servants for them making a different choice than you make, at the end of the day, you're missing the boat. I'm just telling you what the scriptures say. I want to go to another common misconception. The Judaizers, which is Christians, and this has been from the first century, who try to get people to go back and follow the Old Covenant law. Now, I should stop right there and explain why this gets confusing. In Judaism, there was actually three divisions of the law. Can everyone say three? three. There was the moral law. There was the civil law. And there was the ceremonial law. How are we doing? Moral, civil, ceremonial. Now, the moral law, which is the Ten Commandments, okay, it's really never changed because Jesus took the Ten Commandments and summed them up into two for our new covenant. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
He summed up all Ten Commandments, the moral law. The moral law doesn't change. We still have to obey God's moral code. Old covenant, new covenant, that doesn't change. But the civil law has changed a little bit since the old covenant. How many know we don't stone people for sex outside of marriage now? We should, is that what someone said? (laughs) So Pastor Barb and Liz will help you process forgiveness and mercy. But see... The ceremonial law, and we see, we'll see in a minute, I'm going to read it from Colossians, I'm going to read it from, well, I don't know if I'm going to have time to read it from Hebrews. But the ceremonial law, it says, was a type, it was a shadow, it was a picture of the things to come. Because what happened is, through the old covenant, it only pointed to the future reality that Christ was going to come one day, and then the cross happened. And at the cross, something amazing happened. We transitioned, everyone say transitioned. We transition from Judaism into Christianity. While God used Judaism as a type, as a shadow, it wasn't the real deal. The real deal happened at the cross when Christ came and established Christianity. And guess what? Christians are not Jews. There are some Messianic Jews who believe in Christ and are Christians, but we don't practice Judaism any longer. And we have no obligation to practice Judaism any longer. Why? Because we're in Christianity. God began something new at the cross, and now we've come away from what was, and we live in what is. How are we doing? Don't you all love me? Isn't this fun today? But they teach us, the Judaizers, and they did this in the first century, and half your New Testament was written. I mean, think about in the book of Acts. Peter and Paul have this big fight about what? Judaism. They had the Jerusalem Council, and James, the leader of the church at the time, he came to the conclusion, look, let's not put this weight on the Gentile believers. Don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. We'll talk about that in a minute, maybe. Abstain from fornication. Leave yourself unspotted from the world. He didn't put all of the Jewish law onto the Gentile believers. Why? Because Christianity is not Judaism. We came out of Judaism. We don't live in it today. Okay? So then, you know, well, there's only eight holy days listed in the Bible. It only lists those ones. You're right. There's only eight holy days listed in the Bible. But it's all in the Old Covenant in Judaism. On that note, (laughs) the Judaizers also teach you that you need to be circumcised to be saved. 27% tithe, we leave those ones out, we cherry pick. You can't cherry pick. You can't cherry pick the Bible. The Bible's a complete revelation to mankind. There was an old covenant, Jesus initiated a new. Okay, they're two separate covenants. All right, hold on. I mean, come on, do we still do animal sacrifice on the Day of Atonement? Why not? It's listed in the Bible. See, what I want you to understand is this. I don't even have a problem with people celebrating the feasts. I've done it. I have some Jewish friends. I went and celebrated Passover with them. It was great. We had a fun time. But I have zero obligation to celebrate the feasts as a Christian. I also have zero obligation to think I'm more holy than someone else because I celebrated the feast and they didn't. 
And if we think we're more holy and we think we're better than other people because of what we do or what we practice or we think we're closer to God because we do this and other people don't, you're missing it. You're misled. That is inconsistent with what the Bible teaches. Let's look at Galatians 4. Before you Gentiles knew, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again to become slaves once more to a weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You're trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Live as I do in freedom from these things, for I've become like you Gentiles, free from these laws. Again, the cross represents the change from the Jewish system of Judaism to the Christian Christianity. I want you to understand, when Paul's talking about throwing out the old covenant law, again, I qualified this earlier, but I'll reiterate it here. It's the ceremonial law that was a type and a shadow that faded away when the real deal Jesus came. It was the civil law that changed. The moral law or the Ten Commandments still remains intact today. That never changes because God is the author of morality. It's a part of who he is. Because some people use this verse to throw out the Ten Commandments and say we can live how we want to today because we're under grace. We're in freedom, but we're still subject to the law of love. And if you love God, then you're going to obey his commands. Which means that you shouldn't be having sex outside of the marriage covenant, according to the biblical definition of it, for the record. Which means we shouldn't be ripping people off. Which means we should be telling the truth, not lying. Which means that we should put a knife to our throat concerning our appetite. Which means we shouldn't be drinking too much alcohol or surrounding ourselves to foreign substances that alter our mind and body. Now, I just did a whole series on emotions, and I told you, sometimes the doctors will prescribe you something so to help you get your mind in order. I'm not talking about that. But there's a whole bunch of substance out there that takes you places you don't want to go, and you do things that you don't want to do. Another argument I hear is that the Chris Christmas is rooted in the pagan festivals, especially Saturnalia. I'm going to go to Shafe. Just a few paragraphs. Shafe, in my opinion, is one of the foremost experts on church history. He did a fantastic job of putting together church history. He's got all of his research. He's got all of his sources. He's got all of his citing done. It's a fantastic read. The Christmas festival is the celebration of the incarnation of the Son of God. It is occupied, therefore, with the event which forms the center and turning point of the history of the world. It is, of all the festivals, the one most thoroughly interwoven with the popular and family life and stands at the head of the great feast of the Western church world. It continues to be in the entire Catholic world and in the greater part of the Protestant Christendom, the grand jubilee of children on which innumerable gifts celebrate the infinite love of God in the gift of his only begotten Son. It kindles in midwinter a holy fire of love and gratitude and preaches in the longest night the rising of the Son of Life and the glory of the Lord. It denotes the advent of the true golden age of the freedom and equality of all the redeemed before God and in God. No one can measure the joy and blessing from which year to year flow forth upon all ages of life from the contemplation of the holy child Jesus 
in his heavenly innocence and divine humility. He goes on and gives much more explanation. I will acknowledge that some of the traditions the world celebrates are very similar to some of the pagan culture traditions. But again, I determine what happens in my family. When we put up lights, I want to celebrate Jesus, the light of the world. Do we understand this? The tree, it represents the cross of Christ. The Savior's greatest gift he ever gave was his life. By this logic, though, I mean, how many know the days of the week really had pagan origins too? I mean, think about it. I threw this in for you. When you think of Thursday, how many of you refer to it as Thor's Day? And I'm not talking about Endgame Thor. It was originally Jupiter's Day, and, you know, the Norse kind of changed it over to Thor's Day. But, I mean, how many of you, when you say it's Thursday, you think, oh, man, it's Thor's Day? Because that, that's the pagan origin of the name Thursday. For me, it's like the day before Friday. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, payday for some. It lost the pagan association long ago, and it's simply something that we use to denote the passage of time. Do you understand what I'm trying to say about Christmas? Colossians chapter 2. I wasn't sure how much of this I was going to read. It's just easier to kind of read it so you get the full context. I want you to know how much... I'm going to start in verse 1. I've agonized for you, for the church at Laodicea, and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him, in who? In Christ, lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. You know, I remember one time I was sitting in the office in the Philippines and this guy walked in. And he had a book about this thick. And he had it full of signatures from people because he believed that I was one of the 12 apostles and he needed my signature so Jesus could come back. And he was arguing with me that if I didn't sign it, then God wasn't going to be able to come back. And I was looking at this guy like he was a little bit, you know, um, chemically unbalanced. And I was horrified at how many people actually signed off, but I figured out later they probably just signed it to make him go away. I've had a man sit in my office because he rewrote the Gospels because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were amateurs and don't know what they're talking about. So he filled in all the things that they left out. Yeah, they've got like 40,000 words. He's got like 120,000 words in his Gospel, you know, because he has all the revelation. Baloney. In him lie all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am for, far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you're living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. He goes on and talks about accepting Christ and letting your roots grow down, and then he says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Now catch this. Here's for all the Judaizers. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised. 
but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ and when you were baptized and when you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. See, you were dead because of your sins, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins and he canceled the record of charges against us, took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. I'm going to go to verse 16. Don't turn that off quite yet, but why don't you guys stand up for a second? Lift your hands up to heaven and say, thank you, Jesus. What he just did is he explained the power in water baptism where we die to our sinful nature because we allow it to be crucified with Christ. And then we resurrect up into newness of life and we become alive because Jesus canceled the record of wrong against us. Two things he talks about here. One, salvation. Jesus came to earth to die for you so that you don't have to die in your sin. He made a way for you to receive forgiveness and he made a way for you to have eternal life. It comes through repentance from sin, and then God will take us to the next place where we can allow ourselves to be baptized in water, where we let our old nature die and we come up to the newness of life in Christ. So here's my question. Maybe you're standing here today. Maybe you've never had a chance to repent of your sins. Maybe you've never been baptized in water since you did that. Here, here's the good news. We're here today... And all you have to do is say, you know what? I think I want to repent of my sin and give my life to Christ and receive forgiveness and gain eternal life. My friend Eric is here. He's got a team of people. If you need to be baptized in water, all you have to do is step out of your chair and come down here. They'll take you in the back. They'll teach you a little bit more about baptism. They'll even give you a change of clothes. They've got a tank full of water ready to go by faith because we know that week after week as we give people an opportunity to give their life to Christ and repent of their sin and get baptized in water, people respond to the message of hope. So if God's talking in your heart today and you need to repent of your sins, come on down here. If you need to be baptized in water, come on down here. Join us here at the front and they will pray with you. They will believe God with you and we will see God do a miracle in your life. Because for me, the greatest transformation is when God takes a heart that's dead in its sin and he makes it alive. That's the greatest transformation. And then as a picture of that, we get baptized and we fully complete that process, I believe, of getting rid of the condemnation of the past because you leave it in the water. Is there anyone God's talking to your heart today? Is there anyone you know you need to come down here because you're feeling a little nervous or you want me to stop talking? You were dead because of your sins and your sinful nature was not cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins and he canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. If that's you, I'll encourage you, give your life to Christ. You need to do that. Some of you are seeking. Some of you are coming looking for truth. You're looking for answers. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. All right, you guys can be seated. I'm not quite done. I'll have you stand up again in a few minutes. Verse 16. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths, for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. 
Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they've had visions about these things. Everybody has visions. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they're not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishment, nourishes it. You have died with Christ, and he sets you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teaching about things that deteriorate as we use them. They may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. It's because it's only the new nature inside of us that helps us do that. So there's a guy named uh, Dr. John Barnett, and he put this little list together, and I found it, and I thought I'd share it with you. Making Christmas about Jesus. He says, number one, give a gift to Jesus. Number two, like Christ, give to those who can't repay you. Three, pause to sense the darkness outside at night and thank God for sending the light. Number four, read the scriptures to your family. And you can ask my kids on Christmas morning, we read the story about Jesus. Start some traditions that point to Christ. We can make we, we can create our own traditions. You have the ability within your family to create the culture. And enjoy the time of the year. Don't lose the season for the rush. It gets pretty crazy out there. And people, I mean, I was out there on Black Friday and people were running around like maniacs. Why? I was in a store one time and I had set some things in my shopping cart and a lady came and started shopping out of my shopping cart. First, I politely and kindly told her that that was not available for her. <laughs> so she set it down, and then she proceeded as I turned around to go back to try to take what was in my cart. I almost knocked her out. <laughs> I refrained, don't get all pious on me. You would have knocked her out too. Oh, pastor, if you were like Jesus, you would have let her take it. Uh, maybe. I'm not that good yet, are you? Let's not lose focus of what's important right now. We want to honor God, and I think that's the key to all this. No matter what you do, let's honor God with our lives. Let's not criticize and condemn one another. Let's not tear each other down. Let's honor God. We want to lift up the name of Jesus. So whether you choose to celebrate or not, it doesn't matter to me. At the end of the day, you do what you want to do. But let's honor God. Let's lift up the name of Jesus. It says, you are reason, I'm going to start in verse 15. You are reasonable people. Decide for yourselves if what I'm saying is true. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we're many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. Think about all the people of Israel. Weren't they united by eating sacrifices at the altar? What am I trying to say? Am I saying that food offered to idols has some significance? Or that idols are real gods? No, not at all. I'm saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. And at this time of the year, there's a lot of idols people have in their life. Some people worship the gift more than the giver of gifts. Some people worship the uh, icons of the day more than the giver of life. So I think it's really important that we make sure we don't have any idols in our life because often in the old, New Covenant, that's what's being addressed, idolatry. Something that takes the place in your heart of God. 
And that can be anything from your family can sometimes take a higher place in your heart than God. That's out of order. That's idolatry. Our own selfish will over God's will, that's idolatry. You put yourself on the throne instead of God. I don't want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. You can't eat at the Lord's table and at the table of demons too. What? Do we dare rouse the Lord's jealousy to think we're stronger than he is? You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. So you may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And if someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever's offered to you without raising questions of conscience. But suppose someone tells you this meat was offered to an idol. Don't eat it out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. It might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for the other person. For why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, here it is. Do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to the Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. I, too, try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what's best for me. I do what's best for others so that many may be saved. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. And I say that all the time. Follow me as I follow Jesus. When I stop following Jesus, stop following me. And I think that many of us don't fully realize the power of brokenness. Because as Jesus was broken, we're broken. Our selfish will, our selfish ambition, our pride, it gets broken at the cross. And when we learn to lay our lives down, take up our cross each day and humbly honor God with our life, honor God with our actions and our words, then we can truly love one another. The Bible says there's no condemnation in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're operating in love, not hate. And if you're in Christ, then you're not going to criticize or condemn one another. You're going to encourage one another. You're going to build each other up. Help us to love each other more fully, more completely each day. And as we purpose to lift up the name of Jesus and give honor to God with our lives, thank you that you bring healing to our mind, body, and spirit. In Jesus' name. This day, Lord, we set aside our unforgiveness and our hatred. The idea that only we are right and everyone else is wrong. The division and the factions that get created sometimes in the kingdom, Lord, we set those things aside. And we come to your table united under the blood of Jesus. All of us equal, all of us forgiven. One no better than the next. All of us are sinners saved by the blood of Jesus and the grace of God by faith. So today, Lord, establish your covenant with us, establish your kingdom in our lives, and help us to demonstrate the love of God to others. As we go through the season, help us to focus on what's important. You, and we want to honor you in everything we do in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace. God bless you all. Have the greatest day of your life.